The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell and welcome to the Athletics England Show. We're here throughout Euro 2020, bringing you all the latest news and insight from inside the camp every single day from the Athletics team of writers and some very special guests. Um, well, it, it's, uh, it looks like thigh, um, but we don't know the extent at the moment. Um, clearly, it's not a good sign that he had to... Um, walk off and looked in some discomfort with it so um, but we'll know more in the next 24-48 hours Tonight we're looking back on England's first warm-up game with the big headline is that Trent Alexander-Arnold has hobbled off with what looked like a hamstring or a thigh injury I mean after all the talk of whether he would even make the England squad he might end up missing the whole thing after all now I'm joined by Flo Lloyd-Hughes and the Athletics' Carl Anker To start then, a quick thought from both of you to sum up what you've seen tonight from England Flo, I'll come to you first Underwhelming, probably the, the best way to put it pretty rusty which isn't necessarily surprising but is no doubt disappointing in some ways just because of this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game and more head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more the hype that is always surrounding England and the excitement for the tournament and the excitement from the squad announcement. So, yeah, a little bit frustrating, I think. Carl? Sensible rather than spectacular. Uh, there was no point in that game where I thought England might lose, but there were also large periods of the game where I felt my brain slowly drift towards you know direct debits I need to sort out and <laughs> order my contact lenses. This is the way of England. You have the hype and then you watch them again and go, Oh yeah, this is why I don't remember anything about England since the World Cup because so many of these games just pass you by uneventfully. To be honest, I think both of you have summed it up quite nicely there. I was worried at one point what we were going to talk about on this podcast. That it could have been a whole podcast on, on Carl's direct debits, to be fair, the way <laughs> it was looking at, at some points. You're listening to The England Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Before we get stuck into the game ourselves, let's just get the quick thoughts of the Athletics England correspondent Jack Pitbrook on tonight's game and that unfortunate injury to Trent. So I was at the England game at the Riverside this evening. Um, on the pitch, a pretty routine 1-0 win. I think the big story really came at the end when Trent Alexander-Arnold limped off with a thigh injury. He looked very upset by it. He was limping off very slowly around the outside of the pitch. And Southgate sounded pretty pessimistic about it in his post-match press conference, saying that clearly it's not a good sign that he had to walk off and he looked in some discomfort with it. Southgate said we'll know more on Friday or Saturday after Alexander-Arnold is scanned, but you'd have to say at this point that his participation in the Euros is in doubt. Um, and if he is out, then of course Southgate will call up somebody else. You know, you can make a case for White or Godfrey because they're defenders. I think we need more cover at centre-back. That said, given that, as we all know, Alexander-Arnold was one of four right-backs, maybe he'll go for a midfield option like Ward-Prowse or Lingard. Um, but that's going to be one of the big decisions for Southgate over the next few days. 
That aside, well, Bukayo Saka got the only goal. I thought he played really well, wide on the left. Um, I thought Lingard played pretty well. Grealish had some very good touches in the number 10 position. Maybe didn't look 100% fit yet. And Bellingham was impressive again, playing in holding midfield alongside Declan Rice. Um, as ever with Bellingham, it's kind of surprising to to know that he's 17 years old when you watch him play. So, pretty mixed evening for England. It's good that they won. Concern about the Alexander-Arnold in- injury. And back here again at the Riverside on Sunday for Romania. You can rate Jack's pace reflecting on that England performance and Trent's injury scare on The Athletic and you'll get a 40% discount on the subscription by heading to theathletic.com slash Pod. So thanks to Jack. Let's get into some of the points that he raised there. Obviously, Carl, the, the biggest headline is the injury to Trent Alexander-Arnold. Gareth Southgate's going to be sweating, waiting on the scan. I mean, I guess the whole country's going to be waiting on the scan news now over the next few days. It's never quite with Trent Alexander-Arnold, is it? It felt really bad. Uh, one of my favourite authors said, there are certain things in sport you shouldn't see in high definition. And there was just something about the way Trent yelped and walked off in anguish. I was like, oh, this is too personal. Just as everything was seeming to go right, he seems to, the hamstring sniper or the thigh sniper seemed to have done his muscle at the worst possible moment. Yeah, and picking up an injury at this point, Flo, if it is a bad one, it's obviously going to be curtains for the tournament, isn't it? Yeah, I I, I think it's, it's not looking good. I mean, if it's a hamstring, I mean, most of the time that's minimum four weeks if you're lucky, probably more. Yep. Um, thigh would be even worse, really, I think. And we know the options that Southgate has. So why he would then push through and unfit Trent Alexander-Arnold to play, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So, yeah, it's it's just the kind of sick irony, is, as Carl sort of touched on, with all that chat around Arnold and his selection and then this has to happen. You're just like, oh, God, like, what a cruel twist of fate after all that. And, you know, Southgate saying that he was always in his plans, if not, you know, probably one of the first names on the team sheet, and then this has to happen. I mean, I guess it makes his mind up for him, but in a pretty cruel way. Yeah, I mean, Carl, it was great to see him in an England shirt again. It feels like it's been a while since we've seen him wearing the colours of, of England. And he, he was having a steady game, nothing spectacular. I mean, nothing about that game was spectacular, but it was a steady performance. Yeah, steady. Steady is the operative word. He, he had a you know good, bright moment at, right at the start. I thought what was quite interesting was how Jude Bellingham tucked inside and dropped deeper to that right-hand side when Trent Alexander-Arnold got forward, which might be a clue as to how that pivot is going to work when... Reese James or Kieran Trippier or another right back decides to go forward there so that was of interest uh, he nearly got a goal and it, it just feels yeah. really bad now it's that thing of if he had got the goal this could have been the great yeah and now we can just enjoy the next year and World Cup of Trent Alexander-Arnold where instead we're just having this very frustrated size. Yeah, Flo, I mean, there was all the talks of standby players. You never know when a standby player might be needed. When you have friendly games leading up to a tournament, there is always a chance of this happening. I mean, we've got so many right-backs already. There isn't a a like-for-like replacement on that standby list. But if the worst was to happen, who would you think would come into the squad? Who's not in the reserves already? To come into the 26 if Trent doesn't make it. I personally would take Ward-Prowse uh, instead of mm. picking up another defender. I think I think he was brilliant tonight in the time that he did come on. I know, Carl, you've watched a lot of him at Southampton and I just think he the way he drops deep and supports the defenders, he does it better than, than Declan Rice does. I think Declan Rice is, is better 
probably going forward. But I think what Ward Prowse provides in that support, he's his fitness and endurance is insane. I think I would definitely probably pick up him and not worry about another defender. I think he's probably a, a good option to have and everyone knows how good he is at set pieces as well. Yeah, he feels like a trusted lieutenant of Southgate. Carl, your thoughts? I know I'm supposed to say Ward Prowse. I've watched him for a se- you know the 2019-20 season. I watched him play at right back as well f- during that time. I've seen him play right wing back and he's he's pretty good at it. But there's just something about Southgate that I think he's going to pick one of the Bens, be it Godfrey or White. I think there is something a little bit conservative about Southgate and he's got the right back sorted he's got just about enough midfielders sorted and I think the way Bellingham played and the way Bellingham started leads me to believe Southgate is all in on Bellingham so I I could see Southgate looking at Trent on Arnold go down look at the fact that Harry Maguire is still in terms of injury and go well I've got Conor Cody and Tyrone Mings I might as well bring another centre-back with me just in case I need to have two defenders in every single position in that sort of system. My heart desperately wants James Ward-Prowse to go. My head, when I drink too much coffee, thinks it's going to be probably Ben Godfrey. And Godfrey looked a little bit messy tonight as well. I don't know if it was just debut nerves or whatever, but him and Pickford were all over the place, which is surprising. Considering (laughs) they play together every week, it was like they never met. It was bizarre. Yeah, it was mad. It was really strange. They're in in sadness over Carlo's departure, shall we (laughs) say. Still mourning. Dan, who do you think? I think Godfrey as well, to be honest, just because if Trent is is out, then there's a chance that either Walker or James may have to play right wing back at some point. And I think they've probably been earmarked more as right-sided centre-backs for this tournament in a three. So I think Godfrey would make the most sense to me in my head. But yeah, as Flo said, him and Pickford, they literally looked like strange. And to be honest, I'm not just saying this as, with, as a Villa man. I did feel when Tyrone Mings went off, the whole defence just looked suspect all of a sudden and England looked like they were going to ship goals. I don't know whether you two thought the same. There's a little clip going viral of a slightly oh, ro- yeah, sorry. a slightly robust challenge Tyrone Mings did. But England looked poorer without him. It's that thing you get in England games where you make too many changes all at once. And, yeah, it was and that, that, I think. Very strong plan A tends to fall apart. But I, I, Grace on football, Grace Robinson, um, who's a really, really good writer and has been covering England in depth basically says there's just a there's enough pragmatism to Southgate and the fact that Southgate keeps trying to chase the model that France and Portugal are doing which is we don't care if the game's going to be boring if we win everything 1-0 so I I think yeah I think Southgate's going to pick one of the Bens and I'm just going to refer to them now as one of the Bens (laughs) <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, I'll, I'll know who you mean anyway. Flo, with the centre-backs, I mean, I don't think we learned anything much from the game at all. It was Cody and Mings that started at centre-back. If we are playing that three at the back, there's a good chance that probably one of them is is going to start because Maguire is probably not going to be fit for that opening group game. Did either of them edge themselves ahead, do you think? I think both were fine. They didn't blow me away. I think it is a bit of a cliche now to say that Mings has a mistake in him, but I do believe that he does have a mistake in him. And maybe that's just because, you know, in those big moments, he's shown that 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 frailty, I guess. And, and Cody, similarly, I think he struggled towards the end of the season. I think he's a good leader to have on the pitch. So, I mean, that's a plus, especially if you haven't got Harry, Harry Maguire back there. But I think it's pretty neck and neck between them, to be honest, in terms of who's going to who's gonna get that spot. Because I don't think either of them blew me away tonight. 
Yeah, Carl is a left centre-back. Tyro Mings, obviously, left-footed. Cody's not the most physical centre-half you've ever seen in the world. If, if you've got a right-sided centre-back who's essentially a full-back, does Mings carry an advantage because of his height and the fact that he's left-footed? This is the really fun thing. He does carry an advantage in those things, but Connor Cody has an advantage in the fact that he's probably better progressing the ball with the ball at his feet. So I'd say Mings might be a better passer of the ball. Cody's probably better running forward. Does Southgate want his left centre-back to bomb forward when he's got all those attacking right-backs? I'm not totally sure. I like both Tyrone Mings and Connor Cody. I think they're both top-half level Premier League centre-backs. Every now and again, I see you know games where they play against Champions League quality teams or international, you know, top-level international quality teams. And go, That is one above your level. And I get a bit nervous. There have been two games in particular with Conor Cody where you've seen Liverpool and Chelsea go target him just run him again and again and again and he will make a mistake um, and to bring up another clip about Tyrone Mings I did watch uh, Mason Greenwood give him twisted blood towards the end of last least last season if it was worth calling it last season uh, coin toss right now Mings on the left of a three if only because there is something about Conor Cody when he's you know, targeted by a dribbler. That makes me very uneasy. That's probably as well one something that runs throughout the whole of the England team, really, I think. And why, even with all the hope and the hype, in reality, they probably will struggle to win a tournament for, for a fairly long time, is there is that divide between the world-class elite players who are can match the best in Europe and those that can't and there'll always have to be a few of those players on the pitch to make up the, the the starting 11 and until you get to that point where you've got 11 who are at that level as the cliche says like you're only as strong as your weakest member so if you're gonna have to carry those players and obviously center back and left back as well has, has been an issue for a while and I'm really excited to see Ben Chilwell come in because I've got Nations League amnesia and I can't remember how he played during those <laughs> games, but to have actually a naturally, a natural left back finally playing like who's decent enough, really, you know, England haven't had anyone like that probably since Ashley Cole. I don't think he's good as, as good as Ashley Cole, not even, but you know, when you look back over the years, you're like we haven't really had a, a decent left back in a very long time. So I'm hoping when he comes in, that will provide a bit more support as well. If mm-hmm. they go with a with a kind of a back four, or if he plays at wing back or wherever it is, I think. But that centre back is yeah, it's always going to bring England down a little bit. Which is weird when you consider for well the majority of my childhood and adolescence, England made centre backs. They made good meat and potato, head it, tackle, crunching centre backs, and now we. Would you like some nutmegs, please? We've got loads of attackers who like to nutmeg you. Um, it, I find that fascinating. I yeah. If I'm if I'm in the Dutch, uh, French, Swedish, or Croatian camp, I'm looking at Connor Cody and Tyron Mings, and with a big sort of red circle going, run at him. Just run at him and see what happens. Yeah, we can never have it all. We can never have it all, can we? As you say, the defenders coming through. That was that was that was a great time, but it wasn't quite there with the attackers. Now with with the complete opposite, we can never have it all as England fans. And to be honest, Flo, you've read my mind a little bit there because you, you and Carl as well were saying about the being the level below perhaps what you need on the international stage. When you throw that defence in with Pickford, who I'm going to be honest, 
his distribution was excellent tonight, but he still desperately worries me. And I think if you're going to win a tournament, you've got to have a top-class goalkeeper. And I'm sorry, I just don't think he's that man. I think a lot of people thought Henderson was going to start tonight as well. So I think it was kind of surprising. I mean, obviously you want Pickford to get as much confidence as possible going into the tournament if he is going to start, which is probably likely. So made I guess makes sense in that sense not to put Henderson in. But yeah, I'm with you. He still has that erratic energy, like anything can happen. And also sometimes I think with his distribution, it's kind of luck more than anything. Like sometimes am um, um, I being extremely harsh? Sometimes I've like there was one there was one <laughs> there's one kick tonight where I feel like his head was down and he literally just put his th- foot through it. And ended up falling perfectly, I think, to Jude Bellingham in in the in the middle of the pitch. And I thought, there's no way he actually looked up and saw Bellingham. I think he just put his foot through he's, it. He's and that it, good. He's that good. <laughs> so, like, Pickford's really good at the sort of almost a volleyed yeah, side yeah, foot. Yeah, he loves that. He's really good at that. He loves that. He's really good at that. That's probably why Everton spent thirty million for him. And he's very good at the chipped sort of diagonal through ball to the fullback which is something Dean Henderson isn't good at and Dean Henderson this is why Fred ends up losing the ball on the edge of his box all the time because obviously the team goes we'll just press United's fullbacks and Henderson can't do anything um, so in terms of distribution I think Pickford's got the edge the, there was you know that point where you know Pickford goes to punch it and thankfully Ben White was on the line and I went oh god it's happening again sometimes I feel guilty because the more I say Pickford's going to make a mistake in a big game and cost England it feels as if almost like I'm willing it to happen and I don't want it to happen I'm desperately I'm desperately hoping Pickford can shut me up because someone needs to we're talking ourselves down in this podcast I felt like yesterday's was was quite a buoyant podcast when the, it's when easily the squad was done announced within like 90 we've come minutes away a bit, a bit, yeah that's true we've watched the game and we're coming away a little bit negative so let's let's focus on the positive flow Jack Grealish I mean Austria forgot it was a friendly in the first half and tried to murder him on, on the football pitch in the first 45 but he's just a very very enjoyable footballer to watch and, and for me he's got to be in the team yeah I thought he was really really good tonight especially seeing as he's had a lot of time out I think he he came back into it like he hadn't been injured at all um he he was I mean he, he gets knocked down a lot but he was also willing to sort of put his body on the line which I think is impressive from a player that is still coming back to full fitness because you do see a lot of players who won't necessarily kind of shy away from a challenge but not, won't necessarily want to take it on as much and and he was certainly he wants the ball all the time he wants to he wants to play a part he wants to to be a playmaker he wants to carry it and I think that's that's so great the only issue is is there's quite a few of those players on the England team so it's who's going to be that person because with a player like Grealish he's been carrying Villa um you know for a number of years now and he's used to that but I think it's harder for him to slot into a team like England where he's going to have probably a more refined, smaller part to play. Tonight, it wasn't necessarily the case because he had the freedom to do to do a little bit more and, and the kind of shackles were off, I guess, a little bit. Whereas I think in the tournament, he will probably have to be a little bit restrained. And that's kind of what we get with Southgate. We sort of touched on it a little bit earlier, that pragmatic side. So is that going to hurt Grealish because... That's not really how we see the best of him. And there's a couple of players in, in the England side who are like that as well. So he won't be the only one who might be affected by that. I mean, I think as someone who watches him every week as well, he's not 
his optimum fitness yet by a long stretch of the imagination. And he, he's kind of playing the game in, in second gear probably. So that that's exciting that he can impact a game, Carl, but he's he's nowhere near the level that, that he wants to be and that he will be at probably by the time the tournament starts. That's so much fun. That puts a smile on my face. Uh, uh, yes, there we go. Uh, I think my big takeaway from the end of the first half was they need a runner. And Jack brought this up yesterday in the other yeah, podcast. Yeah, he did. But you need someone to run ahead of Kane. And you know, Grealish has a version of hero ball in him where he can take the ball from deep positions, carry it 30-40, make the pass or take the shot himself. But you, it's not so much that he won't be able to do that in the bigger games, but I don't think you want him to do that. I think Southgate, no, just, just stand further and I'll play another midfielder. I'll play Mason Mount, my beloved Mason Mount, to do that running for you. And I think that's what's more likely to happen. I, I really think if they play... 3-4-3 three, three. Grealish will take the left hand side and they'll probably go with Sterling on the right to be that runner although I did say uh, Sterling yesterday and I, you know, the day before that I did say it would be uh, Foden and uh, Mason Mount I'm all over the place today <laughs> none of us know none of us know I mean I mean Kane was taking some stick at half time from the ITV studio flow about about not getting in the box and I guess because of the system England played today 4-2-3-1 when you've got a number 10 They've probably got a point because you know what Kane was kind of dropping into the areas where the number ten is going to be, and Carl talks about runners. He's kind of not in the position I would expect him to be in a four-two-three-one. I know he's been so good coming deep this season for, for Spurs, but do you understand what I mean? When you're playing as a number nine and you've got three attacking players behind you, I think you have got to be in the box more. Yeah, I mean at the same time they they got the goal from him him being deeper, so that kind of worked playing off him. But so, yeah, I think you are right. I think. That's why the consistency, I think, has to come from Southgate fairly early on because if it's going to be three up front, that's that's fine because a lot of the players that he wants to play are used to playing that way for their Premier League teams because it's such a, a common formation. So I think that'll be fine for Kane to slip into. But I think tonight it was a little bit strange because he was wanting to 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 be deep and, and be part of the action, part of the build-up play. But then it was, yeah, exactly like well, who's in the box now? Um, and then when Calvin Lewitt came on, that changed completely because he was happy to to stay up front and be ready for the ball and then, you know, run into the space and, and drive forward. And he kind of had that opportunity where he probably didn't time, time his shot that right or, or play the ball across, I think, to Bellingham, who was screaming for it. But yeah, I think it still worked. It still worked, but it's just, they haven't played that much together. They're all playing in probably... Four three threes for their clubs, most of them. So then you're putting them into this formation. They're a bit like, oh, where do, where have I got to stand? Like, where do you want me? Oh, I'm actually here, and now you need me to be in the box. Like, I think it's just going to take a lot of getting used to. Yeah, I mean, Carl, you're many things, but you are the, the formation and the tactics guy at, at the Athletic. Don't think there's a chance that we'll see that system that he played tonight in the Euros, do you? He's only played that because basically we didn't have three first choice centre backs available. I'm guessing. I could see that maybe being used against the Czech Republic if England start the group stage as well. So sort of two victories and Southgate goes, okay, well, I can, I've secured qualification from the group. We'll, we'll use this. But I see, I see 3-4-3 three, three against Croatia. Maybe a 4-3-3 three, three rather than this shape against Scotland, depending on what Southgate wants to do there. And then it'll be dependent that way. I think Southgate is going to have to do the entire thing one game at a time, one shape at a time, um, one what is Mason Mount's role? What is Carl Walker's role in this 90 minutes uh, going forward? Because that the bracket 
is brutal. England are going to have to play probably somewhat... England will probably have to play someone very difficult in the round of 16. So I can't see that shape. I cannot see that shape being used in, in a game like that. But Flo, Carl's talking about changing formations, Dev. This, this has just popped into my head while, whilst he was talking. I think back to 2018 and the World Cup. You're playing teams like Panama and he, he was rigid. He stayed with that, that three at the back. He didn't change it on a game-to-game basis. Do you think he will this time round? I think he will, yeah. I think just because of the amount of players he's got to try and fit into it as well and the sheer amount of talent that he's got, I think he will try and tweak things because Jordan Henderson, to an extent, just because he's quite far away from full fitness, I think he is there more of as a kind of vibes and leadership role. So I think... The David Beckham in World Cup 2010. exactly. So I don't necessarily think he'll be trying to be slotted in somehow with formation tweaks. But I think there's a lot of players like Jaden Sancho, who, you know, seems to be okay. Just It's just like a small illness that he's got. Like Bellingham, you know, Carl's talked about this love with of, of Mason Mount. He's a fantastic player, but if he's going to be a guaranteed starter, then who's coming in around him? Rashford, Sterling, all these different options. I think we're going to see changes purely because... England have so much talent. We talked about Grealish earlier. Uh, I think it's the the, rig- the rigidity we'll see. Is that a word? I think so. Um, we'll, we'll probably be it's good. It's good. we'll probably be in in the defence really. Um, but it's and Kane, you know, will probably start every game if he's fit. But it's elsewhere that I think we'll want we'll see Southgate want to make changes because he's just got so many options. So you'd be stupid not to, especially if, as Carl mentioned, those first two games go well, then you'll likely see a lot of changes for that last game. Carl, why didn't Jordan Henderson get on the pitch? I mean, I've asked you that lot, you're his his manager or his agent or something, but why why didn't Jordan Henderson get a minute tonight if you're trying to build up his fitness for the Euros? I think Henderson is more likely to tell Southgate when he wants to play football rather than the other way around. Uh, There is, I mean, this was something I only really grasped in around about 2018, which is just how well-respected Jordan Henderson is by his peer group and whatnot. Good leader. Yeah, yeah. there's a reason why he's being taken to that squad, even though he hasn't trained for or played football for so long. Uh, and I, you know, even if he was, even if he wasn't fit, I'd tell him to get on a train plane to Wembley just to stand there in a suit and stare at all the midfielders. So yeah, I'm not expecting to see John Henderson play in either of these friendlies. I'm not expecting to see many of the United players play much in this one. Maybe we'll get a little bit of Ben Chilwell or Reese James against Romania but no I think the the gentleman in red will have to wait until the group stages we'll see on Sunday and fans were back in the stadium back watching England again which which is great I mean I understand Middlesbrough was very welcoming towards the England players and, and the England camp but there was, was a horrible moment before the game when the taking of the knee got booed it did quickly get drowned out by people applauding but the booing really guys it, it, it's not on it's not acceptable no no and this is something that just seems to be part of the course now so I've been to more than one football stadium that has had fans come back and you get a small smattering of booze and an overwhelming cheer which i mean you get the the guttural sadness of okay people really really don't like this thing even though it's been explained well and badly for a while uh, but I, I think i've tweeted before i said if a bunch of people doing non-violent protests saying there's no room for racism being booed by a small section before a large crowd applaud them while a whole bunch of decision makers do not much really and pretend la 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 nothing's happening that 
that's a very good illustration of what the knee represents and what the knee uh, is there for. Um, yes. If if they want to boo, they they can boo, and that's a nice reminder, nice air quotes reminder of the work that remains to be done, and the fact that uh, a gesture needs to be more than a gesture if any change is going to happen. Yeah, plenty needs to be done still. Flow, if if you got anything to add. No, I mean, it's obviously inevitable as soon as fans return that this was going to happen. So much of the last 14 months has been experienced without them. So we have been living in a kind of little bubble anyway, in some respects, just sort of seeing pockets of stuff on the news, on social media, or wherever it may be. So now I I guess it's just a bit of a reality and a wake-up call to kind of the, the, the wider conversation. And like Carl said, that, you know, this is this is a lot bigger than a, a pre-match nil. That there's there's a lot more that needs to be done, and and if that's what's causing this, then it's just a kind of a sign of how much how much hard work there is. If that's what's causing people to boo in the first place. And credit to fans that cheered. Credit to yeah. anyone who saw that moment and went that booing is not on. Uh, I always enjoy it when the England team plays in a stadium that isn't Wembley. So it was, it was nice that they were in Middlesbrough as well. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a sad five seconds followed by a better 30 seconds followed by a very strange 90 minutes of football. This is The England Show from The Athletic. It's time now to have a look at what's coming up and what has been on The Athletic. There's Amatai's piece on the Yorkshire Perlo Unleashed and the stars that could go all the way and why Leeds fans basically should care about the Euros. You've got the Euro group guys from Michael Cox as well. I mean, away from the Euros as well, what's happening at Everton. They're preparing for life after Carlo Ancelotti, Patrick Boylan and Greg O'Keefe have had a look at that. And we were just talking off, off air, guys, Piece on England's DNA, the DNA of, of the England squad. It was a really fascinating read and long read, but really in-depth, really, really cool piece, I thought. Yeah, it, it, I love it when Tom Wilville wheels out his data graphics and goes, this is how, this is the grouping of all the players and how young they are. And Oh, that's amazing. And you remember a player who's 21 means they were born in 2000. You, you feel really old all of a sudden. Yeah, I don't like <laughs> But it's a, it's a really good piece and it really does drill down into just how far and wide this England squad comes from and how, again, what I said yesterday, it's not just this tournament that's interesting, but also what they can do at the World Cup next year. Yeah, you enjoyed that piece as well, didn't you, Fleur? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. And I think it gives you a nice little kind of brief summary as well of their season. Um, there's a little bit about the players who were at the World Cup and have, have stayed in the, in the squad. So, you know, mentioning Pickford's heroics and things like that and how they did in 2018. But then also I think it's nice because it gives you a little couple of lines on, you know, how they've done this season as well as kind of maybe their route to where they are. And yeah, like Carl said, I love the, the graphics as well. So it's, it's definitely a good read. Yeah, really great piece. So if you're not already subscribed to The Athletic, if you just go to theathletic.com slash England pod you can sign up and read all those pieces that we've just mentioned and you'll get a 40% discount on a subscription so just go to the athletic.com slash England pod to finish guys I mean friendlies are the time for experimenting trying out different things but Flo Gareth has tried something tonight and let's face it he's got it all wrong that, that suit and shirt combination is absolutely abhorrent it's just classic 
M&S England. Like, England will always just be, like, lame <laughs> M&S collabs. Um, even, like, I know people loved the loved the waistcoat and then Phil Neville tried to copy it in 2019 and it was just embarrassing. And <laughs> it, was, it was cute and, like, we all remember it and it was nostalgic, but it wasn't cool. Like, let's not. Let's not kill ourselves. That wasn't cool. That was still M and S. So now bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back over this monstrosity. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it was better than this. This was just like one part. I'm going to play golf. One part. I'm an estate agent. Like come, <laughs> I don't know, lads night out to a adventure golf thing. I don't know what was going on, but yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. So maybe maybe he'll take the hint and bring the waistcoat back. I don't know what. They have planned with M&S for this tournament, but I'm sure we're going to see more dodgy stuff like this. Oh, I, mean, I thought the shirt looked like he was could have been going to a hoedown, to be honest, Carl. The weird little collar on there. I don't know what they're called, but those little cowboy drawstring things. I thought oh. the shirt was just missing that, to be honest. That's a bow tie. A bow, not bow tie. Uh, a bolo tie? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean. The like, ropey. Yeah, the, ro- yeah. The, ro- the ropey you thing. Had to, you had to go to a hoedown. That, that would have been cool. Yeah, with minus the jacket, that would have been really cool. Yeah, the jacket and the shirt together—that that was where it went wrong, Carl. I did text producer Ad and I said it might be too warm for a waistcoat, so maybe that's why he's gone for it. But he did, yes, Flo, you're right. He did look like an estate agent or someone who's just been in his shed, who then's been roped out on a night out afterwards. But look, this is Southgate. We unfortunately he, we're going to make jokes about stuff for a long time because he doesn't explain anything in these press conferences so we have to invent explain the outfits we need answers <laughs> carl you said you were gonna you were gonna be on those press conferences soon so this is a chance for you to make a splash and come in with the big question yeah. that everyone wants to know the answer to yeah. what was that yeah are you uh, are you belt or trouser braces that'll be one of my questions maybe he should get some some stuff from james madison's um collaboration with boohoo man i'm sure oh, yeah, I saw that. Some, yeah um, pretty grotesque outfits in there that he could um, he could get on. So you never know. Madison wasn't even anywhere near the thirty three, so I doubt he'll be sharing any discount codes. So that's it. Please let us know what you think of the show and leave us a review as well if you have enjoyed it. Thanks ever so much for listening to the show and don't forget we'll be with you daily throughout Euro 2020 on this feed with myself, Mark Chapman, Jack Pitbrook and a host of other special guests. We're back on Monday morning looking back on England's final warm-up game against Romania. Thanks ever so much for listening. Have a great weekend. The Athletic.